Prado looking, throws it, alley, oh, he puts it down, he puts it down, it's over! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show, your twice-weekly NBA, WNBA, college basketball, all things hoops podcast. I'm Chris Manning, that is Brendan Clean. Today's show is another loaded episode. We're going to get into, among other things, to think I saw it on League Pass, our reoccurring segment where we bounce around, look at different things we saw while watching League Pass. In one case, in two cases, really, we have an in-person thing for, I think, each of us. And then uh, one of these games was nationally televised in a game that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet based on a recording schedule, but was one of the marquee matchups of the early part of the NBA regular season, that being Boston and Milwaukee. And then we're going to do our weekly segment, Waving the Flag, talking about the Orlando Magic and the Sacramento Kings. Later this week, we're going to have Brad Rowland, host of Locked on Hawks, writer at Dime, all these great places. You've heard him on the show before, perhaps. We're going to go through our Eastern Conference check-in. Got a bunch of questions about the East. We're going to answer with Brad. We're going to do the same thing for the West as well in the coming weeks. So check in on these conferences now that we've got some real basketball coming up at Brendan, we should tell people too about our friend at Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and NFL. Sign up today with our code Just Basketball and Thrive will match your first deposit up to $250. I should also note that myself, our guy Colby Olson, we are going to be over on the Just Basketball TikTok doing props, doing lines we like for in-season tournament games and when that's over we're just going to do some NBA games we're above 500 right now we're doing great helps to bet to go against the jazz it helps to go against the wizards it helps you ride with someone the like pacers Julio defense Kings. always yeah. go over on every single statistic of every player involved in a pacers game that's a good uh, rule I, of thumb as well yeah i might just be there with tyrese halliburton in general so that that's that's fun i yeah. love him we're going to talk about him shortly brennan but let's go to to think i saw it on league pass and i think we i think i think personally we should start with boston and let's do Milwaukee. it so to me the thing that popped most about this game was the jalen brown chris epps Porzingis partnership it has not been a great start to the year for jalen brown it has not been i think the all nba caliber guy we saw last year but i thought this partnership was particularly good against Milwaukee. Five of Brown's seven assists in the first half went to Porzingis. Porzingis has obviously been a real fulcrum, I think, for Boston this year. He's really unlocked some things. And I think all the Brendan, all the different variations we saw in this game, particularly when Jalen is driving and he kind of does that little burrow up thing and he kind of shields himself, uses his big frame, and KP rolls and, and it slides into the dunker spot without having to roll that hard. They're all just really good. And when I think about this, and I see this in this game, a game that I thought Boston, despite the late comeback from Milwaukee, really was in control of. This was a Boston game. This was Boston is the better team of these two right now, kind of win for the Celtics. And I think what we saw from that partnership in particular and what that could mean for where this offense could be later in the year when we've seen this offense have real issues and has been one of the things that has held them back from winning a title the last couple of years. This is really encouraging, I think, for Boston. This partnership looks so good, looks so good in this game. I'm I'm getting pretty excited about the ceiling for the Boston Celtics this year. My thing with Jalen and his chemistry with with Porzingis so far is it just gives him something to do. 
on the court on offense, right? Like it gives him a clear structure to operate in. And it honestly reminds me of one of the other tandems we talked about, which is a little more fraught to bring up in this current moment on a previous iteration of to think that I saw it on NBA league pass, which was the Chet Josh Giddy duo. We, we, um, should, we should uh, just stay away from Josh Giddy right now is all I'm going to say. Yeah, but I'm saying it's, I just said it was more fraught, but I think it is similar in that it just gives a little bit more structure to an offense that I think between Boston and Oklahoma City is somewhat similar, right? Where it's different, big, skilled players at every position. They want to play fast. They want to, you know, get up threes. They want to run through their best player and Tatum or Shea. But when you can just kind of build out these little two-man game actions, it makes life easier on on everybody, but especially, you know, on those two guys. This year so far, Jalen Brown is assisting Chris Stapp's Porzingis 1.4 times per game, Chris. There's never been a player that Jalen has played with that he's assisted more than once per game in his career. Not Tatum, not Time Lord on lobs, not some random shooter they had along the way, nothing. It, this is the first time it's even been close to a, an assist per game to one specific player, and it's on its way to two if they keep developing this. So you're seeing it on lobs, you're seeing it on drive and kick, pick and pop. You're just, they're filling it out. And I think what is the coolest part of this maybe is they love playing with each other. Like that was the thing that jumped off watching that Bucks game. They're smiling, they're communicating, they're like, you know, a nonverbal cues and pointing. It just feels like they are so locked in and we're only headed toward 20 games into the season. This isn't even playoff time and they're already showing in the stat sheet how connected they are, but also seemingly, you know, really enjoying themselves. When only uh, Jalen Brown is on the court this year, Chris, the Celtics are minus 17 net rating in 120 minutes. When only Porzingis and no Jalen is on the court this year, they're minus 12 net rating in 50 minutes. So, you know, I know that starting lineup has been killer. That's going to sway those numbers. But when those two are on the court, that's been the recipe. When you take one off and leave one on, they haven't been quite as good. Like any way you slice it, these two guys are really driving high-level stuff for, for Boston right now as they've been you know, far and away, I think, the best team in the league to start the season. And I think on top of this, Brendan, this is pushing back against, I think, some of the weaknesses of Jalen's game. This partnership is setting up Jalen Brown for success. And I think if you're Boston and you're trying to build out your offense and build out the ceiling of your team, that's kind of the guy that I would be looking. I don't have the – like even if we've had some moments with Tatum in the playoffs where it hasn't been perfect, right? I tend to think that Jalen is the one where there's more room, there's more needed room for emphasis and taking care of him in some way and giving him structure. Jason Tatum, to – to some degree, all players need structure of some kind, but Jalen needs to have some of this. And particularly, I think he has this habit where if you go back and watch a ton of some of his worst moments, he drives into two tight of spots, and then he can't get out of it at all. And this is saying, hey, here's a seven-foot dude who's got a great touch, 
who can score from wherever you're going to get him the ball if you just get him a good pass. And we're simplifying his role, and we're not making it. We're not asking to make a crazy read and find him as like the third guy. It's like, hey, there's your one read. Otherwise, we can reset. We have we can go ISO with Tatum. We have other options. This has been such a boon for Jalen Brown, and I think it makes. It makes, even with some of his struggles, I think this has just helped him be functional right now. The numbers you said, they're crazy. They're absolutely bonkers, and it's so early, they'll probably normalize a little bit, you would think. But this is just such a good way to get Jalen out of some bad habits. And and this win, particularly, I agree with you, this is the best team in the league right now. Denver doesn't have Jamal Murray right now. I still you know, defer to them, and they have the best player in the world. But at least, at the very least, this is the best team in the East right now. And, and the Brown-Porzingis partnership is at the heart of it. Yeah, Jalen is on pace for the second lowest turnover percentage of his career right now, uh, quietly, even though I agree, you know, shots haven't gone in. His role is in flux. It doesn't always seem like he makes the best shot selection decisions, but if he can play mistake limited basketball, Mm -hmm. I think that's the number one thing you really want out of him. And he can flesh the other stuff out as the season goes along. My first observation here, let's go with, Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram and how that pairing is coming along for New Orleans. Uh, I'm a unabashed Pelicans fan. I'm not not afraid to admit it. I've watched as much of them as any team in the league so far this year. They are 9-8 and eight right now. They beat our beloved Sacramento Kings twice this week. They also have a win recently against Denver. Um, but then they lost against the Jazz because Zion is not playing back-to-back. So it's it's a Another up and down weird season for New Orleans as they try to get healthier, but um, coming off of that win against Sacramento, with both players on, Chris, the Pelicans are plus four per hundred possessions in 250 minutes. Now, the weird thing is they're still better than any combination when both are off, which should not <clears throat> be the case for your two best players. No. But I think the biggest kind of thing to take comfort in is they're playing off of each other better. There's very simple actions as long as they're playing with quick decision-making and purpose and the right types of lineups that they're kind of just unlocking as the season goes along and they finally stack up minutes playing together. And then when only one is on, they're a big negative. So that tells me that let's get our best players on the court. Let's figure out how to play with them. Let's incorporate them in actions together. It's working. And so be it if the bench is really good too. Like, I don't really care if you're good with your best players off the court. Like, that's kind of the case with the Warriors this year too, finally, for the first time in years is when Steph is off, they've actually played well because Chris Paul and that bench unit have been pretty solid whereas clay and wiggins have kind of held down the starting unit so like that doesn't really bother me it's mostly when they play they're good and that'll take them a really long way and i think it'll it'll continue to get better as trey murphy heads back and and cj mccollum gets right like they've weathered this storm and figured some things out during a stretch that could have upended their season i am i i still am in this spot with them where the Zion thing, there's just times where it leaves you still a little bit wanting and that you see him just be unguardable and you're like, oh, right, this could be one of the transforming players of this entire league. And Brandon mm-hmm. Ingram is 
as we've seen the growth the last couple of years, is like can be this really great, I think, number two, 1A kind of guy on a really good team. And we're just waiting on them to to put it together in some way. That's kind of been the thing we're waiting for. They're going to get Trey Murphy back at some point, you would think, right? Like an add to this. I'm kind. I'm kind of with you that I'm. I'm not. I don't think I'm quite as in on them as you are. But I think I am getting there, Brendan. I think I'm kind of. Be, I think I'm slowly but surely becoming a Pelicans believer i'm a fan because i just covered the team when i was a young blog boy i'm not sitting here telling you they're gonna be a title contender this year i I said fan like i just like the team i'm just a fan of like i just i'm a fan like the most little you know heartwarming meaning of that word i don't know how good they're gonna be well can i just hit you with their numbers over the last two weeks this is part of like when you watch them and then you look at the numbers last two weeks this convinces me that i think they're starting to figure something out Mm-hmm. Last two weeks, let's clean in the glass. Point differential plus 6.8 per 100 possessions. Offense, 117.9. That's 12th. That's a little, that's about nearly two points better than league average. The defense, this is the number that surprised me the most, but is also maybe the most encouraging. 111.1 defensive rating. That's sixth in the league over the last two weeks. That's five points better than league average over that stretch. They're just playing mm-hmm. good basketball right now. And if Zion and Ingram are there and they still have assets to play with, like this is just one of those teams that's going to be hard to quit. Now, for the year, not great overall numbers right now. The offense for the year is still not great, but it feels like something is brewing here. And I think particularly beating the Kings is a real feather in their cap. I think that's those wins where you kind of look at it and go, oh, okay, maybe something's getting figured out here. Yeah, and, and Denver. I mean, I think the... Well, uh, yeah. So the most common lineups <clears throat> with Zion only in terms of high volume that are actually working, Dyson Daniels, Jordan Hawkins, Matt Ryan, Zion, and uh, Larry Nance. So that's the small lineup. That's just kind of, we need Dyson for some defense and playmaking. He's not much of a shooter, but other than that, it's just space and, and, and slice. The most common Ingram-only lineup is Dyson, Hawkins, Ingram, Herb Jones, Jonas Valanciunas. So a little bigger, a little slower, but you know, give Ingram somebody in the dunker spot, hit the hit the glass, have some spacing, have some cutting off of his high post action. And I like that they are again also trying to figure out when only one is on the on the floor. We'll see how CJ slots back into this. They have too many good players, and they have for a long time. But again, I'm just optimistic that this could have tanked them and that that they are not only checking some boxes on the defensive end, like you mentioned, some of these lineup things like I'm talking about, and they have a a real path to continuing to get better. So yeah, I I don't know because I want to see the finished product and the actual healthy version of this squad before I try to say, yeah, they'll be in the Western Conference Finals or something crazy like that. But I feel good about their trajectory. They're healthy and a lot of their young guys are improving. Like that's where you want to be in November and heading into December as an NBA team. What's your next one? Tyrese Halliburton and the Indiana Pacers, Brendan, are having such a moment 
they won their in-season tournament group and are having this awesome year where so their offense is unbelievable. They are putting like they've had uh, the Hawks game is the headliner, but they had that first one over Cleveland in group play that was also just a high-scoring bonanza and featured amazing Tyrese Halliburton scoring. He also was shit-talking a fan at the end of that game when he was trading buckets and like seeing Halliburton have a little bit of an edge was kind of cool because he's kind of a very mellow. He comes across as a very mellow like reasonable human being and not like uh, Draymond Green type losing his mind at everyone around him at all times kind of thing. So mm-hmm. that was kind of cool to see him take some crap from someone who just shouldn't be like, don't yell at NBA players at games, that's weird. But like respond to it and stick it in their face in a cool way. They're beating all these good teams in their group and the Pistons who are god awful and like I feel very bad for Pistons fans right now. But they, they, they outpace in their group, Philly, Cleveland, Atlanta. That's not nothing. And, Brennan, I love that the tournament is giving Halliburton and giving this team a chance to play something, to play for something, have a chance to. That probably is not going to be there for them in April, May, and June. The fact that Halliburton and the Pacers are getting to play for something, I think is a big deal for them. Yeah, I mean, they're for real. I think that they... They play the second fastest pace in the league right now. And you can't guard their offense. They put Buddy Heald back into the starting lineup over Ben Matherin. Um, Obi Toppin is coming along. This is exactly the type of team, I think, if you're just talking about it from an in-season tournament standpoint, that you hoped would seize this thing, right? Like you hoped Mm -hmm. a team like Indiana would come out of group play or or really try to win these games in a in a important meaningful type of context and they have we'll see how far they go in the knockout round um i just find it really hard because we talked about all the great stuff about halliburton we're we're big fans we had rob mahoney on i have a hard time right now not talking about their defense or at least focusing on their defense when i'm watching them because it's it's awful it's like beyond bad and I want, I want to throw this at you because I'm curious if you think it's real or if it's just like trying to kind of retrofit things we know about the team to almost like cut them some slack on the defensive end. Because, you know, I watched this up close with the Suns during the Nash years. Yeah. And I think that it there has to be something to the idea that it's harder to play defense when there is just so much energy and chaos in the game at all times like they chuck threes they're like sixth and three point frequency they foul a lot they turn the ball over a decent amount well i guess the fouling a lot is a separate issue but they turn the ball over a decent amount for a great offense and they chuck threes and then when they play defense it's like they're never set ever really they have an they have the worst transition defense by a mile like all these different indicators that you would look at, you're going to notice that it just feels hard to ask any team to guard in that type of a context. So I think that's right. I think they also, if you look at the, just on like a personnel level, you go up and down the roster. It's not, it's a kind of, it's a, the roster skews a little bit younger. You know, Matherin's year two. Toppin, you know, he's, and he's been in the league for a little bit now, but it's still mm-hmm. like a younger guy, even though he came in the league older, but he's in he is what he is. 
Halliburton. He's not going to be a good defensive player, I don't think. I mean, I, I think that's the thing with Obi Toppin, regardless of how young he is. I mean, yeah, Jer- right? Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Jairus Brown, Jairus Walker, excuse me, is a rookie. And like you have like Miles, and then you have Buddy Heald, who's a specialist, not a good defender. He's big. He can be a big wing, but he's never been a good defender. Bruce Brown is a good team defender, smart, but he's not creating, he's not good enough on that in the floor to create a good defense for you. But I think, but that's the thing, like Bruce Brown and Miles Turner, I think are the exact places to start. It's like, that should be the anchor of a good defense. Well, I don't, this is what I was going to get. I think it, it it should necessarily – I don't know if I want to go as far as to say good, but it should be better than 29th. If you look at yeah. defensive like d- defensive rating. Passable. Yes. The only team – here are the bottom five defenses in the league right now. San Antonio, and this is going from 26 to 30. San Antonio, Utah, Charlotte, Indiana, Washington. That's not where they should be based on having Turner and, and Brown. I think that's correct. I think the pace doesn't help them. I think – the three-point stuff and probably some chaotic energy that stems from that. I think you see that with often rebounding at times as well, where that can create chaos in certain situations when you're just chucking threes. But they shouldn't be, you know, 29th in, in worse than Charlotte and worse than Utah, who has a really bad defense. And, like, yes, they're two points worse than the Wizards, but, like, you shouldn't even be within the realm of the Wizards who are yeah, just awful. And, like, when you have Not trying to win. That, when you have an offense that is as good as theirs is, they're nearly two points better than the second best offense league right now, and that's Atlanta. And it's well, well, well above league average right now. It's it, it's legit. I agree. You shouldn't have this like thin margin where you're nine and six and your point differential is so thin. Like you should be a better team than if your offense is that good. I, I also think they probably they don't play he doesn't play a ton, but I wonder if there's a world where maybe someone like TJ McConnell could also just give you another body to be a competent create some seals create some cast on that end of the floor but like when i'm saying hey you need to trust tj mcconnell at age 31 to maybe help your defense or got that there's probably some bigger well he would help their defense i think that's i don't think tj mcconnell at 31 is like uh, some sort of embarrassment to have to bring onto the court i just no but but if that's like you're like if that's like your big personnel switch that to me is there's there's something else there you need to figure out like if it's scheme change if it's whatever it is yeah well, that's what I'm saying is I think that what we're learning is I think Bruce Brown and Miles Turner are good defensive players in the half court with a set defense where Miles Turner can play drop, stand at the basket, control the paint. Bruce Brown can actually like read what's happening in front of him from the opposing offense, fight through a screen, get a steal, get a good contest up. There can be real help. But like even watching that Pistons game on Friday, which was probably closer than the Pacers would have preferred. I, I mean, Jaden Ivey's back in the starting lineup, had a solid game. Cade had one of his better nights of the year. But that game shouldn't be close. But I'm watching it and it's like, well, you know, Cade's hitting a, a double drag screen in semi-transition. And it's like, yeah, Bruce Brown's guarding him, but there's chaos behind him. There's no help. Miles Turner is is barely getting into position because I think teams also know they can they can run it down the Pacers throat just like the Pacers are doing to other teams. I think that the problems come down to a few things. One, they just shouldn't foul so much. That they're they're like league worst foul rate. That's mm-hmm. something you can clean up. Like maybe there's always going to be some of that if the if the pace is so high and there's a little bit of chicken with your head off kind of nature to all of it. Maybe you're going to foul more than the average team, but you don't have to be the worst. 
And then the transition defense. Again, maybe there's a little bit of lagging that you're going to have to deal with because you are so aggressive at all times that there's going to be opportunities with those threes, with those turnovers you're going to give up at times and all that stuff that it's going to be a mess. But again, you don't have to be the worst. But the other part of it to me is they just play too small. Like I think that they're just going to have to confront that at some point. If they want to win playoff game and and I know like we can kind of have the the you know, the kid gloves on with them or the baby steps perspective, but this was a team that when Tyrese was healthy last year was a playoff team. He just missed a big chunk of the season. The play-in tournament didn't kind of land their way. They didn't make it in and it, it feels like that was a another losing season for Indiana, but it really wasn't. Like this is year three of Halliburton, second full season. They're ready to win, and I think at some point they're going to have to have sort of a come to Jesus moment where it's like we got to try Jarris Walker. We have to put, you know, maybe I don't think you can trade Buddy because he's so important to them, but maybe Matherin plays less. You know, and you you have some bigger lineups in there. Maybe you try to get away with, you know, maybe Toppin's not literally playing the three, but can you get another forward out there with him so that there's actual help that you can send in any sort of resistance you're able to put up? Because right now it's like, I don't really know what they're supposed to do. If Bruce Brown gets caught up on a screen, Miles Turner's a little bit out of position and somebody's just bum rushing to the basket. It's like, what do we really expect here? based on how you're playing and who you're putting on the court. So they're going to win a lot of high-scoring games. Like when we say that they're the fastest in the league, them in Atlanta right now are like a half a second faster than like the fifth fastest team. Like it's not even close, which is kind of why I compared it to the Suns of the Nash years. It, it feels like that right now, but very quickly those Nash teams realize, well, hold on. We can't just win this way. We got to balance this out in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, I think we're going to watch Indiana try to kind of come to terms with that and figure out what their answer is the next half of the season because they've learned from their team. Tyrese is an MVP candidate. We're a playoff team. Let's operate that way. Yeah. What is your next one, Brendan? My next one is let's go to Jabari Smith Jr. Back to the West. Jabari Smith Jr. It's not pressing the panic button. It is not a five-alarm fire. I, I, he's had a good season. A lot of the efficiency numbers and things like that would lead you to believe, you know, no big deal. Like, nothing's, nothing's really wrong. He's shooting 50% from the field. His numbers are pretty similar to last year, and they're winning. Great. I guess it's just to kind of point out the trade-offs when you operate the way that Houston did this offseason. And I think to me, you know, Amen Thompson, he's a rookie. I'm not going to worry too much about what his season looks like. I think he'll play once he gets healthy a little more and be back out there, have some moments. But to me, it's Jabari Smith Jr. who is kind of where the buck stops or whatever you want to say here. His usage is down almost a percentage point and his three-point frequency is up. So you're really seeing him transition into full-on role player this season for a team that, again, is, is trying to win. They're running their offense through Shengun and, and Van Vliet. They're playing a lot of vets, even off the bench, and trying to win games every night. Jalen Green we can talk about, but the other part of this, Chris, is on the – Last Sunday, I think it was, maybe Monday, they played the Lakers. 
mm-hmm. down to the wire game. LeBron went off. Dylan Brooks and him were going at it. Um, got but good Rui I think I mentioned. What's up? You got that good Rui Hachimura quote about Dylan Brooks and LeBron yes. out of that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We talked about this game on the last episode. And I think I mentioned the kind of giving into Dylan Brooks' worst habits in some ways from that game. But the flip side of that was Jabari Smith. Like, why not let him guard LeBron James? He got, like, the first six minutes of the game that way, and then Udoka flipped it. And it's like, LeBron still went off for, like, his normal numbers. I think he had, like, 37 points in that game or something. So, like, Dylan Brooks didn't really put up a fight. But it's these little ways where the trade-off of we don't have our pick, we want to spend money, Tillman Fertitta's tired of losing, I'm Ime Udoka and I'm here to win, turns into a little bit of a strange season for a promising young player. So again, it's not to attack Jabari. It's not to say anything, but I was really looking forward to what can he do off the bounce this season? What can he do as a team defender, turnover creator? Can you put him, can he have a leap defensively similar to like Keegan Murray is sort of having? Can he really start to feel like a a real number two or three option on a good offense? And we're just not even having the chance to see that stuff. He's not having the chance to prove it. And the team is going to have a harder time evaluating him as a result. Yeah, I think that's incredibly well said. I think when you are in a situation, you either have someone like Singoon who is vitally important to what they're doing and how they're playing, and he gets the benefit of some of this, of getting Van Vliet in there and getting Dylan Brooks in there and having, I think, everything a little more locked down and, and than it was. I think that has really been a catalyst for him in the way he's playing. For someone like Jabari Smith, it's like Dylan Brooks kind of comes in it's not one-to-one, but Dylan Brooks kind of takes some of the responsibilities, the the chance for Jamari Smith to spread his wings on that end of the floor in particular. There, yeah. There's a loss there. There's absolutely a loss there. Um, I mean, I Jalen Green is like another, as a point of comparison, he's rating out better in terms of analytics, but if you look at his like just kind of counting stats, they're not vastly different than they were a year ago. And so what do you do with that? I think both those guys are, are kind of have had their – roles a little bit changed um, just by the fact that people come in to do things at a more adult level than they were maybe capable of but then you don't under they don't get a chance to grow and figure stuff out um it's that roster to me is still brendan like a neat like i i want them to trim like if they, they're a team that even though they spend and they're winning and they're good i kind of want them to maybe move some stuff around just to kind of clear some space for some of these guys and i want just Amen thompson to get as many minutes as they feel like they can give him when he's healthy and, and good i think that's just I mean, that's another part of it, too, is like you're seeing like Jay Sean Tate's feels like somebody they could Bingo. easily trade. He's but he'd take, you know, 20 minutes and turn it into tar- more Tariq minutes, turn that into Amen Thompson minutes, turn that into mm-hmm. 32 minutes for for Jabari Smith Jr. instead of 30 and let him do some of the stuff Easton is being asked to do. It'd, it'd be pretty easy. Sure. Change, and even if I'm but it's like even on the might like want that. Backup playmaking. It's like Aaron Holiday is getting yep. minutes. They have Jeff Green and Jock Landale playing backup center. Not that I think Jabari Smith Jr. is a center and you should just like do crazy gymnastics just to get him on the court, but it's just examples of places in the rotation where it's like, I get it. I know that this season was going to be this. You made that very clear with how you chose to operate. You were going to sign Brooke Lopez on top of everybody you ended up with, you know, but at the same time you would you're going to feel regret if you plateau jabari smith or have unanswered questions about him that kind of you didn't need to put yourself in that spot with so i hope that he 
earns the trust of the coaching staff by taking the sacrifice. And he's been really good spirited about it. Every time he's been asked, you know, I want to win. It's, I don't care that I got benched in the fourth quarter, all this stuff. And that's the right mentality, but there is nothing that can replace reps minutes, you know, like that's what a young player needs. So at some point, like let him spread his wings a little bit more and and hope that you still win, but maybe you won't. And it's just going to have to be the way the cards fall a little bit. Can I ask you one devil's advocate question? Mm -hmm. For someone like Jabari Smith and to a lesser extent, Jalen Green, I think, does the fact that they are not breaking through in these circumstances, does that tell you something about maybe what their ceiling is as a player? That you put these, not training wheels, that's not the right word, but you bring in some veterans, you try to emphasize winning, and the fact that someone like St. Goon breaks through, but these other guys don't, does that tell you something about those guys and where you, does that change change your ceiling? Does it change anything how you might feel about them and their development because they're not breaking through kind of organically in, in a more winning environment? I think it's just too early to say, you know, that's a boring answer. I'm sure you feel similarly, even though you're asking the question. That's my answer as well. I just wanted to. Yeah, but it's like, that's why I started with usage, right? Because Jalen Green has basically the same usage as last year. And as I said, Jabari's went down a little bit. And then Shangun, it's like, well, they're running all their offense through him. Whereas before they weren't, you know, they had Kevin Porter Jr. or Josh Christopher or some of these really inefficient players who were handling the ball. Uh, I will say, though, um, Jalen Green in November has been a lot better. And so I think he is kind of on the way up. He's shooting 43% in November, over, which is over his season average, 35% from three, 57 true shooting, um, a little bit of a bump up in usage. So I think he's kind of on the way up. They're starting to, they use him a lot. It's just a matter of are his shots going to fall. I think both Jabari, uh, both Jabari and Jalen have played good solid efforted team defense like i i think that those are also positive things but in terms of their ceiling you got to just play through the growing pains a little bit even if you know you're you you take a loss or two extra over the course of a season like you can't just pretend like that process doesn't exist because you gave dylan brooks 80 million dollars like it it has to happen one way or another or you're going to regret that you never let it happen i think all right, let's go on to my next one. Let's go in person, I think. I have one more. I have my last one. It's in person. Cool. Let me do this quickly. So I got to see a guy named LeBron James in Cleveland on Saturday. Ever heard of him? I have, yeah. Good player. Important to the, the history of the franchise. Yeah, they did a tribute video again. Was this for the scoring record, or was this just you're here, might as well? Okay. Scoring okay. record, but they did have a welcome back like LeBron sign. Like in the hallway at Lakers locker room. It here's Brendan. Do you think the guys media. on the team right now ever get tired of it? Yeah, I would be annoyed if I was them. Yeah, I don't know. it's you like we get it. You he played here. Well, I mean, even post game media, like I went to the I went to hear JB, and it was ended up being Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen talking post game. And usually, like you know, all the beat guys were there. Most of them went to talk, listen to LeBron talk yesterday. I caught the end of LeBron. Um, but like he takes over. I mean, even in the arena, the amount of people wearing LeBron jerseys, both Cleveland and Lakers is pretty Mm -hmm. astounding. He's also just like, we we've talked about this. He's been unreal this year. He's tapping into something that is crazy for someone his age, but he did some shit in this game, Brendan, that was just like, how, how is he doing this? 
The first bucket was spurred by him and AD trapping Mobley. They forced a turnover, gets an easy N1. Mobley had a real problem with his physicality in this game. And one other thing that I really liked is Austin Reeves has not been maybe as good as we, you might have hoped for them this season. But seeing it in person, I really like him as a roller with LeBron. It's not quite an inverted pick and roll, but the twist on that concept is really good with those two guys. I get why the Lakers are playing two bigs, and they were running this set with two bigs kind of lurking. But I wouldn't. I would eventually like to see that if they can find a way to get more shooting on the floor, and run that as like close something resembling five out or four, and like like one of Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood in the dunker spot if AD sitting. I think there's ways that this team is really on the verge of something. That And that was a great game. It was high scoring. It was competitive. Cleveland remains a little bit snake bit because Darius Garland comes. Is they Finally, they get Mitchell back and Garland's back. And it's okay. Dean Wade's still out, but they're getting close to cores back. And then Darius Garland hits his head on the floor and has a neck injury. And we don't know as of now if he's going to play on Sunday against Toronto. So like that team just is having a really tough run of luck and as far as injury goes. But LeBron, man, that guy. I, I Go see him if you can. The tickets for this game were not so expensive for people trying to go last minute um, compared to like every other Cavs game right now. Understandably, not great for people, but that guy remains a freak. He also, Brennan, where are you on dunks and getting a technical and you hang on the rim for a little bit too long? Because he got a tech for that in this game. It's dumb. I think it's stupid. It's dumb. Okay, disagree. The refs are really the stars of the young NBA season so far. It's been a it's been a treat getting to watch them do their work every night. I love that's. It's why we turn it on. This league, man. Refs. Refs going crazy. Refs having opinions about everything. Refs uh, having personal vendettas with Hall of Fame point guards who play for the Golden State Warriors. It's been it's been just a treat, really. I love them. Um, LeBron is shooting the best field goal percentage since his last year in Miami. Do you want to know how old he was that season? Twenty nine. Can I? I was gonna, I, I was gonna guess twenty eight. Yeah, I was gonna be because it was like pre. It was like that blend. It probably, was probably that, turned twenty nine. I guess. Yeah, because he's he's December birthday. Boy, he's uh, that man, he's he's that crazy. Man has a museum. That man has a museum about his like career now in Akron, and he's still out here doing this shit. It's unbelievable. It is. All right, my quick in person one. The only game I went to this past week was the Portland Trailblazers, so I don't have a lot to report back on here, but. Um, I actually do want to just shout out. Just, just scoot in the goggles. Did you see Scoot wearing goggles right now? I'm in on it. I didn't. I did not. But uh, I'm, if it makes him get to play basketball and make this team watchable sooner, <laughs> I'm all for it. What I will just say about the Portland Trailblazers is I think that they've actually done a pretty good job of finding deep bench guys that are going to mm-hmm. supplement this team well once it hopefully turns a corner. Maybe that's still a ways away. We'll see. But between Kamara, who they got in the eight and trade, who's already starting for them and at least is a good defender, we'll see what he can be as an offensive guy. Duop Reith is probably somebody nobody listening to this show has necessarily heard of, but he's a like seven foot three and D big. Jabari Walker, who has been on this team for a while, just like a funky, switchable floaters and passing forward combo big guy like they have three or four real maybe seventh eighth ninth tenth men who don't make any headlines right now because they're a god-awful team but in two years three years when they're trying to make their push back into relevance all those guys on you know that's that's like what turns into isaiah joe on the thunder this year you know what i mean or 
some of these players that nobody pays any attention like Isaiah Jackson on not to somehow I did Isaiah J twice but like Isaiah Jackson on the Pacers right now or when these teams start to take a leap those are the players who are going to make a difference so uh Duop Wreath went on like a personal 10-0 run in Phoenix in this game and uh Tamani Kamara was making life hell on Booker for a few stretches so uh shout out to I guess Mike Schmitz and and co over there scouting the depths of basketball uh, everywhere across the globe and finding these guys, but that's it. No LeBron James takeaways, no Austin Reeves takeaways. Just do operate for you, Chris. That's that's the sicko shit that we're all about here, Brendan, is all I got to say. Absolutely. All right. Good. Next, coming up, waving the flag. Orlando Magic, Sacramento Kings. Got to tell you first about our friends at Homage. Homage is the ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company. Brendan's got a great Jimmy Butler shirt on right now. They have NBA, WNBA licenses like that one. They use vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use our link below to make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show. It's holiday shopping season. They have great deals. They have NFL starter jackets if that's your jam for someone in your life. They have, they have all kinds of great NBA and WNBA stuff. So use our link. Buy yourself or someone you love something nice for these holidays, and you guarantee you won't regret. Brendan, that homage shirt's just the softest the softest you can get so soft so comfortable fits well jimmy butler with the lasso the miami heat are a force once again in the nba even though they uh who did they get blown out by last night uh somebody not great by a lot of points the nets by 15 with nobody on their team playing but i still will support lonnie, it. Lon, Lon, lonnie walker and the brooklyn nets baby nick claxton back that's really the big thing yes uh, by the way, Cyber Monday sale through Monday, 20% off store-wide at Homage, and $200 orders free go to Krunek. Check that out. Boom. All right, waving the flag, Brendan. Orlando Magic, let's start there. Win streak, have two wins over the Bulls. Beat the Pacers, beat the Raptors, beat the Nuggets, beat the Celtics. We both had, in our notes, you shouted out the Denver game. I went to the Celtics game. Let's start with the Denver game. What to you popped about their win over the Denver Nuggets? Beating the Denver Nuggets. First and foremost, uh, I almost had them in my what we saw on League Pass in terms of Michael Porter Jr. conversation for a different day, not having the breakout stretch minus Jamal Murray that maybe we had hoped for, but defense, beating them at all is uh, is huge. Defense for defense for MPJ, I don't think it's been quite as good as we maybe thought last year. Well, let's just start there. Let's start there because I think that the Nuggets could not stay in front of Orlando's ball handlers at all mm -hmm. they were just allowing paint touches over and over and over whether that was cole anthony paolo bancaro franz wagner jalen suggs everybody was getting to the basket um and then you know, that's how you pile up points like i don't understand fully how the magic went from is their offense going to just destroy them and hold them back to like they're putting up 110 plus on good teams all of a sudden but here we are uh, in the past two weeks, the magic are 13th on offense, which is uh, a little better than their overall mark. So they're, they're headed in the right direction. And then on the other end, you just saw the length and physicality and honestly, like strength of the magic defense give Denver problems, you know? without that two-man game to go to when it's just Jokic spraying passes to cutters and, and shooters. 
he's been frustrated a lot during this stretch, Jokic, like not putting great effort in defensively, not really looking to score as much as maybe he could to just will his team to a win. And when he's kind of playing that way and they're not, you know, in a good rhythm, the Magic were able to to stifle them pretty consistently. There's a lot of funky lineups they're using and, you know, Jonathan Isaac doing his thing and, and everything else. Jalen Suggs getting into a fight with Jokic. They're just a pain in the ass to deal with. And when you also can't guard them, like it, the game is over. Like they, that's that's it. If you're not going to make their offense work hard, you're going to lose to the Magic. That's where we're at because their defense is going to give them a chance to win every game. And that's what happened. You know, the, the Nuggets lost a high scoring game to a team that they should easily be able to outscore. In this case, they didn't. Their defense is just outrageous. Like they're in every single game because the defense is that good, and the fact that they're doing this, Brendan, the defense has remained as good as it has without like Wendell Carter Jr. and they're putting in centers that I think long term they might look to improve on in some way, or probably aren't long term cogs for this franchise and Goga and, and Mo Wagner, unless Mo Wagner is going to be like the brother, like kind of hangs around because like in the brother. Yeah, he might so. get to stay on the team, but we'll see what his minutes He's, look like better than Thanasis at least though gotta say yeah at least you can like you can play no Wagner's a, a good backup big I think but yeah I think yeah. Batadze it's he wasn't even playing before this so yeah they're doing this without many of and and Fultz who's their best point of attack defender the fact that all of this is happening their defense is just going to keep them in games and if they if the offense like it's simple and I don't think it's sustainable for them to win in a big way it's like one of the evolutions that I think we're going to need to see with them. But like, if you go against Denver and you have Paolo and Franz do what they do, and maybe that's enough on certain, that can get you some. That that can maybe sneak. That's going to make you an annoying out just because you have those two guys. The Celtics, Brennan, for, win for me was an outrageous defensive performance in, in a very similar way. You look at the game details in that game. Boston's offense this year has been incredible. Boston's offensive rating in that game ninety four, ninety fucking four. That's mm-hmm. how that. That's like 1990s basketball number. That's with a free throw rate, like in the top, like like an insanely good 36 free throw rate in that game. Like they just took a ton of free throws. Didn't matter. Offensive rebounds stifled, turned the ball over like averagely. They just got stops. They held the Celtics down in the half court in that game. The Celtics half court offensive rating in that game 79.4. That's in the bottom 10 percent of things this year. They just stifled them in that sense at the rim, in the mid range, on long mid range from three. Like what? A, just that defensive performance every every night is stifling. It makes you want more, for, and for me, it just makes me continually just want more from the offense. It makes me just feel like there's there's something here if you can fully just unlock the offense in a real way. Well, so Beyond to that point, I never part of it. I think that they're playing with much better pace lately in general. I, I think that that's been one of the key things that you're seeing. And I, you know, I hate to try to pin it to somebody. Maybe it's not even fair to do it, but it's in my head. I'm already halfway through the sentence. I think it has to do with Markel Fultz. Like, I just think when you have one player who is best orchestrating a very deliberate set on every possession, that, I mean, it's it's the Chris Paul curse, right? It's It's not that different from that where... When you play that way, you're going to play slower. And it doesn't just mean pace like how many possessions per game or the you know offensive seconds to shot or any of those metrics. It's just even in the quicker semi-transition, you know, let's just go 
moments, well, it's going to have to be, let me get a guy to set a screen and I'm going to snake around and then maybe I'll find Paolo on the wing and then he'll settle into a, you know, a high post thing. And now it's eight seconds left. Right. But when you don't have Fultz out there and when you have, I think Suggs getting the ball in his hands a little bit more. I think him knowing kind of the rules of engagement when it's Paolo or Franz handling and when to cut and how to be effective there. And Cole Anthony, who deserves a huge amount of credit and I think should be, I've seen some whispers of this online, like he should be a six man of the year candidate, like a real one, somebody who should actually, you know, maybe be in the lead in that category. I guess Chris Paul would probably have to be up there too right now. But when all those guys are playing more and the and the offense is settling into a better groove, I think that goes a really, really long way. Um, and they closed with Cole Anthony in that Denver game. They closed with Cole, Suggs, Paolo, Franz, and uh, I believe Batadze, but it might have been Wagner either way. And mm-hmm. I want them to do that more. Like, that's what we talked about early in the season. And I kind of regretted, like, being so harsh on it. But it's like, we're not saying make a huge trade. It's just spread the minutes around in a way that makes a little bit more sense. It's not that different from what we're talking about with Indiana. It's like, let Cole Anthony try it, you know? Like, let Anthony Black close some of these games, even when Fultz is back, if he if he's the better option. Like, I don't think you should force-feed Ingles and Harris minutes. No. Because maybe that's to the detriment of your team overall. That gets back to the Jabari Smith conversation we were having. But it's like, there's combinations here that are already working on both ends of the court the that anthony the bench lineup uh led by cole anthony right now is plus 13 net rating in 115 minutes that's anthony harris ingles isaac wagner that lineup just eats teams alive it's like crazy on defense because of jonathan isaac but then it's spaced out to the max and it's just you know running up and down the court like crazy um like just lean into what's working i i think would be the message for me and Jalen Suggs is getting everybody's attention. I I just want to say the original flag we planted before this season was on Jalen Suggs Island and, and, and it never has been pulled out of the the mud. It's been there the whole time. Despite I, again, I just, every time I see him, Brendan, you got to shave it, my guy. It's time. He's got it. It is. It is time, but you know, he's feeling good and maybe it's similar. They're on a win streak. Maybe it's like the baseball guys who don't, you know, don't shave, their beards maybe he was just about to you never know and then they started winning and he said never mind i'll wait maybe maybe i hear the last thing on the magic brennan their recipe right now and this defense first suffocating just enough scoring how they keep the defense intact while doing i think necessary roster improvements to get the most out of the offense and evolve this team it's one of my three favorite questions to think about in the league right now it's going to determine how far they go this season the the defense but, but even, is seven points yeah. worse per hundred possessions with cole anthony on the court like it's even it's yeah it's you got to figure beyond, it out you got to find the mix yeah and it's even i think just beyond this year it's next year and the year after it's like as these guys grow up like how they figure this out to me is just it's one of the going to be the coolest roster building things we can discuss as far as team building goes i think In terms of their recipe, what you were saying, let me throw this at you real quick. Pelicans of the East. I know that they're only like five miles from New Orleans (laughs) geographically, but like... uh, More than five miles, man. Thank you. 
I, I actually thought it was five, so I appreciate the clarification. Um, you just like really undersold how far like Louisiana and Florida are. I gotta look this. But up. it's just funny to call New Orleans not the East, but Orlando is, as if it's like some other look, corner of the world. It's it's very much the, the same com- part of the, the world. I mean, the fact that like Memphis is like a Western Conference team is hilarious. Well, this will get fixed with expansion because they're going to have Vegas and maybe Seattle, and then they'll move Minnesota and Memphis to the East, and that'll be yeah, that'll get us where we need to go. Um, all right, so. Pelicans of the East, they have two jumbo creators. They have kind of a hodgepodge at point guard. They are best when their defensive personnel is on the court, but they need to figure out how to make the offense work. And they, you know, can at their best are flying up and down, forcing you on into turnovers and, and getting downhill. I like when I watch them, I'm like, oh, I've seen this recipe before. I've seen this mix. This is just New Orleans a little younger and a little further east. And I have less concerns about the durability of the superstars, which is a big deal. Just straight up a big deal. Yeah, but do you agree with the stylistic premise? You always want to talk about the health of Zion Williamson. It's like your favorite topic. His name comes up and you're like, oh, let me mention that. I'm asking you about their style. Okay, yes, but how could it not with Zion? Because it's it's like what has held him back from being what we thought he could be and it's like yes of course it has but i'm talking to you about the orlando magic not not david griffin's nightmares of zion tearing in another muscle or something i'm talking about the 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 magic because i think thinking about that template makes it easier to imagine okay what do they need to add who do they need to get the players aren't identical but it starts to make a little more sense whereas if you just watch orlando sometimes you're like how's this ever gonna what is this gonna turn into whereas if you think about it that way it's like oh it'll look like that so who is their CJ McCollum, I guess, is then my question. Yeah, that's the question, right? I mean, we thought they could have, we wanted them to maybe pursue Van Vliet or could it become Anthony Black? I mean, I don't think he'll ever be as good as CJ, but can he add a, enough offensive juice to make the other stuff he does good uh, work? I don't know. I think that's that's their thing is who's that guy going to be or maybe Paolo and Franz have an even higher ceiling as like all around creators than Ingram and Zion do. Maybe they don't need that guy, but it is, it's a fascinating question. Yeah. Curious to see if Levine stuff with them ever kicks up. I'm kind of not a Levine guy for them, but that's the name. Levine's like too much. I think of that. Yeah. It's, it, it's a little too much. Uh, it, it's not enough of, yeah, it's like it's not enough of like the creation kind of thing CJ can do, where he can like Levine's not going to slide in out of that in the way I think I'd want to kind of juice everything else. Brandon, just real quick, can you t- can you give me your best guess on how far of the drive it is from Orlando to New Orleans? I just I got Google Maps up. This is a West. I'm a Westerner, so just I want everybody to know that I I ha- this is this is a pure guess. I'm going to say twelve hours. Oh, nine hours, 16 minutes, six. Okay. I was going to say 10 and then I went over cause I didn't want to yeah. undershoot. So I, my first guess was 10. I was close. Yeah. You over, you just overshot a little bit. That's okay. All right. Sacramento Kings. Brennan, let's, you have a question uh, that one of, I think the best NBA Twitter follows that is around Nate Jones threw out on Twitter. So why don't we yeah. start with that? And then we can talk a little about the okay. Fox. So this also, <laughs> we're back to Zion Williamson. This stems out of the Kings losing to New Orleans twice this week and their inability to, to keep Zion from doing Zion things and their paint defense overall, even though their defense in general this season has been better. I'm not really sure how much I buy that like in a playoff setting, the ceiling of this team defensively is any different than it was because the personnel is mostly the same, but 
the question from Nate Jones that this couple of games reignited in my mind is, is Domantas Sabonis to the Sacramento Kings of this generation, this era, what David Lee was to the burgeoning Golden State Warriors dynasty about a decade ago? Meaning, is there something that has to happen where DeMontis Sabonis gets usurped by whatever Sacramento's version of Draymond Green at the five is about to be in order for Sacramento to hit its ceiling? Where do you stand on that? Because it's a, it's a very big question and it's hard to ask it when the, the wins are coming, but it's exactly the same as the Warriors, right? They were good with David Lee. They were great with Draymond Green. So if you're thinking about that jump for the Kings, does it have to include some sort of adjustment or improvement on what DeMontis Sabonis is giving them despite how huge he's been for their turnaround? I I think that the part of this I don't quite like is David Lee was not... David Lee certainly like moving on from him and getting into small ball five and Draymond at the five was a huge part of that success. Those guys are not on the same level. Is the first part of that that I don't quite like. I don't like that. Analysis. David Lee, two-time All Star, routine twenty and ten guy, different generation, but pretty damn good player for what that generation I'm, asked of power forwards. I just think of Sabonis as like a different level of guy. I'm not saying there's not similarities, but I think Sabonis is a little bit higher up. Like more of a legit feels like a good All Star could on a good year maybe sneak into like third team All NBA center. Like I think that's the quality. Mm-hmm. Well, not the positions don't exist anymore, so that whatever. But I but I get it because I think um, I think particularly unless the unless they kind of have two paths. I think it's either you improve on the Harrison Barnes spot and like clone Keegan Murray in some way, which is going to be really expensive, or you get a different kind of center to unlock certain things. I think that's the two ways you the two more drastic ways to change out the roster. So yeah, I kind of I don't love it because I kind of I like the idea that they have found something here, and I like the idea that the Sabonis has been a big part of this, and that him and Fox have this chemistry and it really works. But the nature of the league is you; it demands improvement. It demands change if certain things don't work. I just, yeah. I and I, but I, and I also wonder what their patience would be, right? Like, I wonder if it is, like, do you owe it to Fox based on how he's played to say after this year, if you don't get as far as you want, you have to look in a different direction. I, I don't really think that's totally fair, but I could understand the argument. Is is in as weird as it can be. Well, let's go through both pathways, because yeah, I think. The barn slot is is the obvious. I mean, that could be improved upon as soon as this year, for all we know. That's their trade chip. I don't think Barnes has started the season too great. What type of player? Is there a specific guy that comes to mind? Or what what qualities would you think would get you to a player good enough to compensate for what Sabonis doesn't do well to elevate the Kings to, you're talking about, can beat Denver, can beat Phoenix, can beat even Golden State, who they lost to last year, Boston, Milwaukee, on that level of contender, what what do you want if they're improving on the barn slot? Because they passed on Kuzma, they passed on Jeremy Grant this past offseason. I think you and I agree that probably isn't going to get them over to that level of, of team. So who, who would, or, or what qualities do they need that would? I think you want someone else. You need someone that can really create for others in a way that would take some of the pressure off of Fox and give yourself some more diversification. 
I think you would want someone that can shoot, and I think you'd want someone that can hang primarily on defense and is really engaged in that way. Like the con, like if you if you're gonna keep this roster as it is, and maybe like find some other wings, like maybe maybe you turn Herder into a more defensive oriented or something, or maybe like just flip one of those guys into like your version of KCP, and you get like Aaron mm-hmm. Gordon, like that type of player. But like those guys are very rare. Like there's a reason Aaron mm-hmm. Gordon. And like Jeremy Grant is a lesser version of Aaron Gordon in a lot of ways, but like there's a reason Denver prioritized that specific skill set and that kind of body type and that kind of frame to play next to another center that you would have some defensive concerns about, right? Mm-hmm. But they then said we're also going to get all the big wings. So like, I think if you're going to improve on the barn spot, it has to be something like that. But finding that guy, that's tricky. It's like are you rent like renting Bojan Bogdanovic is not an answer to that. Like. There's not Jason Tate. If you just just say, let's trade for him, that's not really, I think, the answer to that at the scale. Well, even beyond this season, want. like it doesn't have to just be guys yeah. who are available right now. Like if you're just saying taking any player in the league, just play complete dream. Realistically, Barnes plus picks, even next off season, it's hard. I agree, it's hard. I mean, I, I, like I thought John Collins. Like I know that isn't gonna wasn't gonna get them to the peak level we're talking about, but like a player like that, and I think a lot of it has to do with the defensive end personally. Like I think getting a real help defender would go a long way for them. But you know, is that it's like like imagine if like Nick Batum, the way he's playing with Embiid, like mm. that could have been. For this season, you know, but who who long term is that? Like, R- those Roko players are rare. Ago. Roko, like four years ago, would have made I think a ton of sense. Yeah, but I I want bigger. Zamonte Sabonis is like six nine. I want somebody that's yeah. like bigger and taller than Sabonis, who's like theoretically their four, but almost operates kind of like a center on you know a, a throwback rim protector center on defense. You know, maybe Miles Turner. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, it's it's tough because the the shooting is the key part. The shooting and the ability to kind of play perimeter basketball is is the key part, and that's why I thought Collins. I mean, Jaron Jackson, right? Like that that would probably be yeah. the epitome of of what you want because he's a little more mobile and versatile than Turner. But yeah, it's it's a fascinating question that might not have a real answer, um, and that might be why it has to be the replacing Sabonis route. But when we talk about that side of it, Chris, DeMontis Sabonis is under contract through 2028, making 40 plus and then 50 plus million dollars. So that's kind of to me where the thought exercise runs out a little bit is I don't see a pathway where unless it's something like an injury or some sort of major shakeup that they would trade a guy who they just paid reams of money to acquire. I think it has to be the context around it and then at least roll with that for another season two and then see okay maybe now we've tried all these other things we need to we need to confront the Sabonis thing I just don't think it's going to happen soon I don't think it can I it's also just hard to do those kind of trades unless you kind of for sure know you have the clear evolution and those kind of trades are pretty rare where you're getting a trade where it's a kind of clear upgrade in some way um 
the other the other kind of like if they were gonna maybe find like a different kind of backup center too that could be interesting if they like if one of the nick like if they could find like a like a their version of like a mitchell robinson type or like an isaiah hartenstein type that would be the other path where i think you could kind of gummy some things up and make it work in some way playing with sabonis well no i'm just saying as like another like big to bring in and have like a backup if you go at like big wing and then got like a really good backup center there's a path there to me that you could kind of fudge some stuff and figure it out and try sure. some weird stuff. And I think Mike Brown would like... Also, just Mitchell Robinson is just like having a wild offensive rebounding year. And that guy, I'm just kind of ready for that guy to like have his shooting normalized to some degree. And like should be shooting like 70% from the field. I'm ready for Sacramento to not play Trey Lyles at center. If we're talking about yeah. backup centers. He's back. He's not a five. Play him at the not four. Chill. And root for Alex Len to recover quickly so that he can fill that slot because I think he's their answer there. Yeah. The other well let I maybe there's a there's a deer and fox conversation that I think maybe we could punt to next week just because I think there's more there's a lot of meat on that bone. So let's sure. let's just ask this. When we talked of about him like last their, week. Yes. And I'm, well, we're gonna talk about him a ton this year. But of like their fringe role guys, who do you who do you who do you trust the most right now? Of their kind of like the Davion Mitchells, the Trey Lyles, like of that class of role guys on this team, who are you who do you uh, who do you feel most confident in who do you trust the least in how they're being used? Trey Lyles at center is the answer for the one I trust the least. So you stole mine? That's yeah, your answer. I mean that's just I mean just him playing center is just like an insane it's just doesn't it it, it it's not like you're getting small ball five benefits. It's just like forcing – it's doing something that doesn't actually work. Yeah. They just don't trust JaVale McGee. So I think he might be the guy that I trust the least. I would say most is Malik Monk, but I don't know if he counts. No, he's a little too good. I think I think like Sasha Venskov is probably like the guy that I would trust like the most just because I just – the skill set is fun. I'm fascinated by the fact that Vizankov and Misic both came over this offseason and neither of them are really playing. It's yeah. Usually it feels like there's kind of that built-in promise for those Euro guys where it's like you're going to have a role. We don't, we're not going to promise you it's a starting spot or something, but then the teams are good enough where it's like we're not going to disrupt everything just to force you in. And now both of these guys are like 30-year-old rookies who don't even have a rotation spot. So I like Vizankov. I think... I think he has more to offer than he's been able to. I know the defense isn't great, but that's the case for a lot of their role players. I think the Davion Mitchell thing is maybe running its course. And maybe the answer here, like I, I don't think Duarte's done anything inspiring. You know, he's fine. Like he could probably be in a rotation, uh, but he's not been some revelation here. Maybe that's the answer in season this year. Maybe it's the Barnes thing if you can really do it, but otherwise it's like, let's just go get a really good seventh man sixth man you know and and maybe that'll make us enough improved over last year with some improvements from our best players that we can win a series you know keegan murray's better malik monk is better fox is better let's get another rotation player and roll it out that might be what they do because again to your point every trade's hard like none of this is going to happen tomorrow i'm looking at the 2021 draft class real quick as far as dave and mitchell goes weird draft obviously covid year all that stuff. Oh no, sorry, not this is post the your post COVID year. Excuse me. They take Mitchell. It's still a COVID year, technically. Yeah, I mean. but not as weird as the year year before. So here are the next. Here are the picks after that: Zaire Williams, James Boonight, Primo, Duarte, Moody, Kispert. 
The one the the one that they should like maybe feel some regret about is Trey Murphy at seventeen, and then Jalen Johnson mm-hmm. at twenty. Those one of those two guys on this team instead of Mitchell. Murphy especially because Murphy was talked yeah. about as a as a lottery guy, whereas I think Jalen Johnson it's he was in the mix, but. I think it's been kind of a surprise that he's developed the way that he has, whereas Murphy, it was like plug-and-play 3-and-D guy. He was a junior, whereas Jalen Johnson was a freshman. Like, But that that whole late lottery, it's like after Franz, Davion, Zaire Williams, Book Knight, like you said, Primo Duarte, who we just mentioned, Moody, Kisperia. It's like a bunch of wings who did just have not worked out for various reasons. Um, maybe it was right. the fact that these guys right. were missing games. And scouts couldn't come in and out as much, but even like the Tennessee guys, Keon Johnson and uh, whoever the other one was, Jaden Springer, uh-huh. they've been you know slow to bloom slash not really bloomed. Yeah, Quentin Grimes though. I mean, you mentioned the KCP, right? That's that could have been their guy, but I don't think anyone thought Grimes would go ten. No, no, but there's it just in retrospect. There's probably like you maybe Mur- Murphy would have been nice, but you can't draft this. A lot of like the thing. The more and more we I learn and talk about basketball, right, and the more you realize that the draft often just chaotic. But yeah, but imagine this team with Keegan and Trey Murphy together. Whew. Crazy. You it's would, just like you, you, you could play those two at the at at like the two and the three, and then still add one of these types of big forwards we're talking about with Fox. That's like that's really what you need to do. You probably need to put three wings and forwards between Fox and Sabonis on the in the lineup you know you mentioned the herder spot like what can you do there who, who who can you who can you get that's like a big two that's probably the the best path and then just hope that your kind of size and force makes your defense good enough to win but they have chips to play i'm excited to see what they do let's end there i'm chris manning that is brennan clean this has been the just basketball show your twice weekly look at all things hoops back later this week brad Rowland, eastern conference check-in eastern conference tiers eastern conference big questions surprising teams player of the season all of that and more thanks again to dylan heiser for his work on video production back at you again later this week enjoy the hoops everybody